invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1003. This is Mark's account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they'd cut out in the fields. Then those who went ahead... And those who were following shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let us pray. O God, who is still speaking, give us ears to hear with joy what you would say to us today. Open our hearts and minds to Mark's account of your entry into Jerusalem so we can hear his particular view and your particular word for us this day. In your name we pray. Amen. Before there was cable TV or satellite TV or streaming over the internet, there was the Turner Broadcasting System, or TBS. As a kid growing up outside Atlanta in the 1980s, I had not three channels, but four. ABC, NBC, CBS, and TBS, the Turner Broadcasting System, supplying me with all the reruns of the Brady Bunch that I could stomach, every single Braves game, home or away, which is why I'm a lifelong fan, and every Saturday afternoon, one of those wonderful 1950s and 60s westerns. Thanks to TBS and my free Saturday afternoons, I became a lifelong fan of westerns. Those familiar movies where everything follows the same plot. It's almost the same backlot studio in all of them. You've got the wooden sidewalks of Main Street with the saloon, of course, that's requisite, a mercantile, and then your generic church over on one side. You've also got the grimy-looking bad guys with their bad hats, And you've got the upstanding, stoic, and rather handsome good guy with his white hat on. And, of course, the good guy was never looking for a fight, 
but he never backed down from one either. So each movie had a couple of variations, but the plot was the same. The bad guys wreak havoc on the helpless but upstanding good citizens of the town. And that happens for about two-thirds of the movie. And then in the last part, the good guy finally stands up to the bad guys, and he ends up being involved in some sort of shootout or fast-draw gun duel. And even if he gets injured or winged, as they used to say, it was just a flesh wound, he would win in the end. And then all the townspeople would celebrate, all the females would swoon, and the triumphant good guy would ride off, help me here, into the sunset. Thank you. Every Saturday afternoon, I watched completely entranced, although I knew what was going to happen. Every Saturday afternoon, my great expectations were met, and I walked away, or ran outside in this case, to ride my bike sure that I would always know how the good guys win. First century Israel had their own version of this kind of boilerplate hero story, only their heroes were not cowboys. They were modeled instead after a character in history, Judas Maccabeus, who in the second century led the one successful Israel revolt against their captors. In this case, the rulers were the Greeks before the Romans beat out the Greeks and took over. And Judas Maccabeus led a revolt against the Greeks, and for a short bit of time, Israel's kingdom was restored. This had been Israel's dream for so long, to be financially independent again, to be recognized as a kingdom and a nation and to be able to worship as they saw fit with no interference. Now, notably, some of you may already know this, but the story of Hanukkah comes out of this particular second century revolt when the rebels freed the temple from the Greek troops and the holy lamp there with only enough consecrated oil for one night burned instead for eight, a sign that God had not forgotten them. That was their hero story. Judas Maccabeus riding in to save the day with his sword drawn to rid the land of all foreign occupiers and rededicate the temple so worship could happen there again. This was their image of triumph. No gun battle, but rather a violent revolt where the good guys cut down the bad guys with the edge of their sword taking back the holy ground once again. And this all included one big victory parade back into Jerusalem with the conquering hero riding tall, cheered by the crowds as he comes to offer a victorious Thanksgiving sacrifice at the temple. So the crowds that Mark describes on this day who were streaming towards Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover They knew this story by heart in the same way we know the old westerns by heart. This was their hero story of a long-hoped-for national recognition and political independence led by a tall, strong, handsome hero. And now it seems that this conquering hero has come, and he's going to fix 
everything. It's as if it's all coming true right before their eyes. All the hero stories that they've been holding on to, they're right at their fingertips. Because this Jesus, who's been taking the countryside by storm with his preaching and his teaching and casting out demons and healing the sick, he's here. He's on the way to Jerusalem, about to come through the city gates in triumph. Everything is about to change. You can feel the joy and the excitement and the great expectations. But as most of us who've been following Jesus for any time at all already know, Jesus loves to turn our expectations upside down and inside out. And Mark's account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is set up to remind us just that. At just about every turn in the passage, Jesus does the opposite of what you would expect the conquering hero to do. And Mark's version of Jesus' entry gives us several little winks that Jesus is not the conquering hero that was already scripted, that was already part of their great expectations. The first wink happens in the account where the disciples are going to acquire the colt that Jesus will ride in on. Jesus instructs them to go into the village and they are going to borrow this colt. You'll notice they tell the guy, we're going to bring him back. We're going to take him and then we're going to bring him back. And that was because Roman soldiers and Greek soldiers who were in charge were known to just take things that they needed and wanted for that moment and never bring them back. So Jesus instructs them to remind whoever they're taking this from, he's going to bring it back. The Lord needs it. But you'll notice he doesn't give them any details to tell. Keep it quiet. Keep it simple. Keep it on the down low. Now, if you're into the conquering hero story, this is a problem. First off, shouldn't you announce to the people you're taking the donkey from that the most important guy in town is going to be riding this donkey, you're lucky your donkey gets to be a part of the story. And secondly, the ride that they're getting is no hi-ho silver, the wonder horse. It's a colt. It's a donkey so young that it has never been ridden. Now, the early church knowing this part of the story, linked that to what the prophet Zechariah said in chapter 9, verse 9. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But that was a connection that was made later, after the resurrection, after we realized that Jesus truly was the Messiah. So that Zechariah connection that we've already made is not immediately obvious, probably, to the crowds there that day. They're not tuned in to one obscure verse from a minor prophet. They're tuned in to the big, conquering hero story. They're caught up in the moment. They're not thinking little gray donkey, clip-clop, clip-clop. They're thinking big, conquering steed. Mark's next wink comes when the crowds, while they do quote from Psalm 118, do not hail Jesus as the son of David, as they do in Matthew, or the king who comes in the name of the Lord, as they do in Luke, or even the king of Israel, 
as they do in John. They just leave the whole king part out, and they never deliberately link Jesus to David. They mention David in their cheer, but they don't link Jesus to David. Instead, they, they stick to a very simplified version of Psalm 18, 118. Hosanna, save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Again, there's that wink. It's as if Mark is saying, let's just forget about that whole king thing. I told you this was not going to be what you expected. And then there's a third wink. After Jesus finally clop, clip, clop, clip, clops over all of the cloaks and the branches that are on the ground, the conquering hero story would say that he should have ridden in to Jerusalem triumphantly towards the temple, ready to make a victorious sacrifice. But instead, Jesus just walks into the temple and, as verse 11 tells us, looks around at everything. Again, we can imagine those caught up in the conquering hero story saying, what? Wait a second. Where's the Thanksgiving sacrifice for the conquering hero? Where's the victory? Where's the flourish? Jesus just walks into the temple area, checks everything out, and then I love the way Mark puts this so casually in verse 11. As it was already late, he went back to Bethany with the twelve. Wow. Talk about anticlimactic. No confrontation, no conquering, no dramatic sacrifice of thanksgiving for victory. No entertainment value at all. Jesus just walks in and looks around, and since it was late and likely getting close to dinner, he just heads back to Bethany with the twelve. This is not the scene that the crowds were expecting. Jesus is not fitting the bill of the conquering hero. And Mark wants us to see that really clearly. Not riding in on a powerful steed like Judas Maccabeus. Not being hailed as a king or a son of David. And then no victorious sacrifice at the temple. Just walking in quietly looking around, and leaving. It's as if Mark is saying to us, it is not Jesus' job to fulfill your expectations. Not the expectations of the crowd that day, and not our expectations either. Why would it be any different for us as modern disciples than it has been for every other follower of Jesus? Now, we can cut the crowd a lot of slack. Of course they were caught up in the conquering hero story. It was their most popular and most recent example of somebody fighting back and winning. And though Jesus had shown in his teaching and his preaching and his healing and his casting out of demons that he was not the Messiah they thought they wanted, That hadn't all sunk in for them yet. It's easy for us to see it because we're looking back. It hadn't sunk in for the crowds yet what kind of Messiah Jesus was going to be because they didn't have the rest of the story. 
They hadn't yet experienced the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion or the resurrection. They had not yet seen how God and Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit really turns everything upside down, undoing death so that we might have life, abundant and free and everlasting. The crowd didn't have another story to hang their hopes on, except the conquering hero story. They didn't have the rest of the story. But brothers and sisters, we do. We have the rest of the story. Even as we hear on this Palm Sunday the crowd celebrating the Messiah and mistaking him for the conquering hero, we know what happens next. We know the gospel story where our great expectations, our carefully pinned scripts for Jesus, our myopic expectations of what he would do and how he would do it fade into nothing before the power of the cross and resurrection. And doesn't the conquering hero script really lose its power in front of the real power of God giving himself up for us and rising again for us. Brothers and sisters, we are not just limited to the part of the story that the crowd knew. We know the cross and resurrection rest of the story. And that changes, or should change, everything. We had a script for Jesus all planned out. And he ripped it up and rewrote it and created a new story for all of us. A story that centers on not my will but thine be done, as the choir just so beautifully sang. A story centered on I came not to to be served but to serve. And I came not to condemn the world but that the world might be saved. No human would have ever written the story this way. We like our conquering heroes, don't we? And isn't it good that we weren't in charge? Another interesting wink from Mark in this passage is that the crowd is both going ahead of Jesus and following behind Jesus. Now, both groups are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But those who have gone on ahead of Jesus can't see him. And if you can't see him, you can't follow where he leads. And that's still true today, isn't it? We can run ahead of where Jesus is leading, where we can't see him anymore. We get out ahead of Jesus and we get into trouble. No, no human would have ever written the story the way it happened, which is why Jesus is the author of salvation and not us. Or as a kindergartner in Sunday school several years ago once told me when I spent three or four years as the kindergarten Sunday school teacher and found all of my theology challenged, one of the little boys, as we were discussing things, just blurted out, Jesus is the boss of us. 
And I thought, there it is, in a nutshell. That needs to be a bumper sticker somewhere, and we need to all have it on our card. Jesus is the boss of us. He leads, we follow. Brothers and sisters, how often are we like the crowds that day? So focused on our own expectations of how things should be and how they should go that we get out ahead of the one we're supposed to be following. And when we do that, we forget who is in charge. We forget who is the boss of us. And so often, our expectations of how things should go can easily petrify into demands. Demands that Jesus has to fit into the box we have created for him are nice little organized boxes that go along with how we think things need to happen. And when that occurs, our great expectations get in the way of our ability to say, not my will, but thine be done. When our great expectations become too rigid and we get out ahead of Jesus, then it's almost impossible to submit our will to that of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer of the entire universe. And then we forget that wonderful saying, we plan and God laughs. Or as Isaiah would put it, God's ways are higher than our ways. So the question comes to us this Palm Sunday, courtesy of all of those winks that Mark has given us in his gospel. Where are we out ahead of Jesus in our lives? Where are we running ahead of him so that we don't have our eyes on him and we can't follow Where is our fear and anxiety and need to control getting in the way of us following the one who leads the way through the cross and the empty tomb? Where are our great expectations for how God ought to do things keeping us from participating in what God is actually doing here in our lives as individuals and as a congregation? As we enter into Holy Week together, and I've been studying this passage from Mark all week, I am reminded that I sure don't want to have my nose so stuck in the script that I think Jesus should follow, so stuck in the script of my great expectations, that I miss out on what he's actually doing right here, right now. Let us not settle for some familiar, human-sized, canned scripts. Let us not fall for the wonderful conquering hero myth of the Westerns. Let us instead follow the author of our salvation, who is writing something new in us today, something far beyond, something far better, and something far greater than our great expectations. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.